Welcome to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Community Radio WERU and Mabel Wadsworth Center, a feminist, client-centered, sexual and reproductive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. I'm your host, Abby Strout. On each show, we speak with local experts to explore issues that impact our sexual and reproductive health. Topics include, but aren't limited to, reproductive rights, access to health care, feminism, LGBTQ rights, and women's sexuality. We wrap up each show with our Ask Mabel segment, where we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions. For more information on Mabel Wadsworth Center or to listen to past episodes, visit MabelWadsworth.org. You can also find Reproductive Left on WERU.org in the archives, on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for tuning in. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in. We have another great interview for you today with Victoria Ebois, a young African leader with the Mandela Washington Fellowship. Let me tell you a little bit about the program. The Mandela Washington Fellowship for Young African Leaders is a flagship program of the Young African Leaders Initiative that empowers young people through academic coursework, leadership training, and networking. It started back in 2014, and this year the fellowship has provided 1,000 young leaders from sub-Saharan Africa with the opportunity to hone their skills at a U.S. college or university, in this case the University of Maine, with support for professional development after they return home. The fellows range in age from 25 to 35 and have established records of accomplishment in promoting innovation and positive impact in their organizations, institutions, communities, and countries. The fellows represent a diverse group of leaders from 48 countries across sub-Saharan Africa, and 50% of the fellows are women. Each fellow is connected with a local leader or organization for mentorship during their program. We had the privilege of being paired with Victoria Ebois, a midwife NGO leader who provides sexual and reproductive health education in Wenchi, a rural town in Ghana. In this episode, we discuss her work and her hopes for the future. Welcome to Reproductive Left, Victoria. Thank you so much, Abby. Thanks. And thank you for hosting me. Yeah, well, thanks for being on the show. I'd love to hear you start by talking just about what your day-to-day life is like working mm-hmm. as a midwife in Ghana. And as my daily activities, I go for work in the morning, close at 2 because I'm the, in charge of the labor ward. 2 is the normal duty time, then 3 to 5 I will stay and observe before I move to the house. Being the in charge, on weekends I don't work. So every weekend it's my free period and that is what I use for my private activities. So daily, that is what I do, my private activity, that is managing my NGO. Can you tell me a little bit about your NGO? Yeah, as a young midwife from the nursing training college, I was posted to this village with all the energy to start working. I was so ready to put all I've learned to practice. And then one thing I noticed was there was a high rate of pregnant women dying, babies dying, and then young girls in the senior engineer high schools also dying. It was a difficult issue for me because I felt like there was something wrong. That's why all these things were being caused. And by then I was like like 21 years and I was a junior staff. So I go for work, I close to, I'm in the house, nothing. 
So it just dawned on me, why don't I go into the communities to see why? Why are they not coming to the hospital? Why are they delaying seeking care? What is causing these young girls to cause abortion and dying? So I will move Lake Miguan R to a community, start talking to the young girls and other stuff. Then I noticed one, it was ignorance. Especially the young girls, people get pregnant and it's a shame in the community to get pregnant. So the next thing is to abort it. And abortion, they don't know what to do, where to seek care. There were no prevention methods for them. Then I knew, oh, this is the issue. Then I can do something. I moved to talk with pregnant women. Some were engaged with farming activities, not thinking about pregnancy. The only thing is, it's time for them to deliver. Then they come to the hospital. If lucky, they get access, they, they come to the hospital. I did this for almost um, eight to one year. Then I saw that it was very productive, so I wrote to the Ministry of Education to have access to the junior and senior high schools, to have time to go to the school so that I could meet um, the girls, the ladies together, and then talk to them. Then I wrote to the chiefs in various rural communities and had access. So um, I came back, talked to some of my colleagues at work who had equal view with me, and then we started. That was when we started moving to the communities. We started moving to the villages. Because we were fed up with sitting at the hospital where the ambulance will rush in, complications, then we have to mm. be rushing. I think it's better we go to them and then talk to them, then they will come. We needed to market our product. So they agreed and we started going to the communities. And so from 2007, we've been doing this, but it was 2011 that I got to know before we can impact much, we need to put ourselves together. Because all this we we're doing, we just go and do it on our own. In case even something happened, we can be held responsible. So we need to let the government know what we are doing. That was when we started putting the whole thing into a form of organization. So we'll be recognized, then we can go more and then do our activities. So now Green Life Foundation is a non-government organization registered by the Ghana government where we take help to the people, we do anything. But our main focus is on pregnant women, children, and then the school-going young girls. And we are really, really impacting life. A lot of near-miss cases have been abolished. Any school we go to, we give our contacts. And surprisingly, there isn't a single day I don't get a call from a student. And they are okay when they call you. They're able to express themselves, and you're able to also assist them. And though induced abortion in the criminal way has not stopped, but I think it's minimal. Mm. And we hope to go further and then do much. Yeah. What are the most common questions that the girls are contacting you with? Those, when we started, any, any of the ladies who called would be like, I'm two months pregnant and I don't know what to do. I'm one month pregnant. I did not get my, my message this month. Those were the first questions any of them called. And then a few of them were asking about sexually transmitted diseases. Some will tell you, I'm getting some discharge. I don't know what to do then. After contact, I'll let them come to the hospital for examination. But as we started going there and talking about other conditions, now they call and ask about conditions. If maybe they even normal sickness, like if someone gets malaria, they will call, this is it, for first aid before other. But most common things from these young girls, I've missed my menses. What should I do? Um, this, but they first had to talk about relationship which they feel shy to talk a little bit. We will get there where they will open up and then talk about that. And what can you offer them for resources 
if they are pregnant and don't want to be, is abortion provided at the hospital? That is the, the most difficult aspect of my work. Because like where I'm working, Methodist Hospital, they don't do abortion. And one thing in Ghana, you see, there's a problem. Ghanaians believe that um, it's, Ill, it's, it's abnormal to talk about sex education to their students. Meanwhile, the girls are having sex. They are doing it. They get pregnant every day. And they are using the wrong means to do it. My hospital, for one, they don't do abortion. But if you are to threaten, if you are to cause it and you are bleeding and you are rushing, uh, evacuation of the uterus will be done for you. And I see that as an abnormality. It's, it's a problem, not even abnormality. It's a problem. So most of these people are doing it before they rush in. That is the only problem. Now I have almost like, is it like seven? It's seven or eight girls whom I have really supported to deliver. They, I went for education and they confidently came to me. They, have, they, they are pregnant. And I told them it's difficult because I can't take them to my hospital and I can't do it. So they can deliver. I spoke with their tutors. And Ghana, if, if, if you can be given the access to complete school if you are pregnant, that is, maybe if you have few months to complete, you can be given. So I was taking their antenatal drugs to them in the hospital, in their school, and they delivered safely. After you can continue your school. I have, I think, seven or eight girls whom I have that with. That is the best option I use. But when it comes to the abortion, I don't really encourage them to go and do it. But if they do it and they are rushed in, I talk to my doctors and then they are assisted. And then they can... Yeah. Is there access for them to act, to get birth control? Yeah, that is that is one thing because as the, from the perspective of how we see birth control, we are thinking family planning should be for maybe the elderly, like all the married couples. So if people see a younger already, they have the intention that you shouldn't engage in sex. Mm-hmm. So why are you coming for family planning? And that is deterring the young girls for getting a sex to it. That is really... And I, 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 I'm seeing it from the angle of my angel being the best, uh, maybe, means of getting to them. Because I have some students who are HIV positive, and I take drugs to them in their school. So if the person is able to call me, explain the issue, I think it's the best means of done. Coming to the hospital, really, since I've worked for the past 12 years, I haven't seen a lady between the age of, like, maybe 13 to... 19, walk to the hospital, no, I've never seen it. So accessibility really is zero. And your role is, if I'm understanding it correctly, Mm -hmm. a link between the community and the hospital so that they feel more comfortable getting care? Is that how part of how you view your Yeah, one thing with my... Mind you, has gotten nothing to do with the hospital, but because I'm working at the hospital and have a good flow with the doctors and most of the staff, some of these issues are easily made. Like if I go, last year we did, we screened almost 1,005 students on breast lump. And we had, we had six students and then 10 of the women in the community. I was able to link with my hospital. They did not pay anything. And then the operations were done for the lab investigation for them. So I think that has really helped in linking up with. But I think... Um, my hospital provides uh, family planning. They, we have the RCH sector that gives family planning. They give the injectables, um, the pills, and no plans here. But accessibility for the young is open, but they will not come. That is really the, the issue now. Stigmatization. That is the, really the problem. 
And how do you manage that? Um, so I think the last time I asked you when you started to go into schools, mm-hmm. you weren't saying, I'm here to talk about safer sex or <laughs> anything. What, what ways yeah. do you kind of get around yeah. the stigma that but is... is- because I remember I went to one school and they didn't want me to talk anything about sex. So I told them I'm a health worker and a lot of conditions uh, they need to know. So I, anytime I go to, we go to a school, I, we go with a condition. Like maybe if we have um, meningitis or uh, gonorrhea, any of the sexually transmitted diseases, that's what we go with. And I really had agreement with the, uh, the tutors that they shouldn't be there so that the student can feel free and tell me whatever. So it's agree on that. When we meet one-on-one, that is when I'm able to, after talking to them about the real thing, like I said, I'm going to talk about maybe malaria, teaching that, then this one will come in. So it's an illegal way of talking with them, and then they talk, tell me everything. Then I'm able to also tell them everything about themselves. Yes. Do you end up talking a lot about relationships with them as well? They feel shy to come up. They feel shy to... Be, because there's a day I asked a question about, I wanted to know how many of them are dating. And in the class, you will see among them, this one would ask the person, raise your hand. So that was the means of telling me this person is dating. Then the other lady would click and that, like, raise your hands, you are dating. Then I said, yeah, I know you are all dating. Then they would say, yes, madam. So you get to know they are dating, but they feel shy to open up. It's, it's when um, those who are so bold enough and free, because there was one lady who was dating, sorry to say, an old man. Then the man had inserted IUD. Um, no, it's a no-plant implant. Yeah. So the lady said she didn't know much about the no-plant implant. Few of them comes to me and talk to me about that. Um, gradually, I'm gaining their confidence. Yeah, a few of them come and then talk about yeah, especially when they are in problems. How long have you been in Maine through your Mandela Fellowship? Yeah, I've been here three weeks now. Yeah. What are you hoping to gain from the experience here to bring back with you? Truly, as I started, I always ask myself, why is it always on BBC, on other radios and other stuff about high maternal death rate? in developing countries like Africa. Is it that people are not dying in Europe and in America and other stuff? That has been my question. Or is it that maybe they are dying, but it's on a limited rate? So coming here, that was one of my main things to know what they are doing extra that we are not doing, that they are saving their babies. So I wanted to meet with a facility like I've met right now, I wanted to meet a facility that is into one, um, maternal and child health issues, issues about young girls, how to handle them, where to help them, because um, I don't think maybe the rate of induced abortion that leads to death is high in the U.S. So I really want to know what people are doing different that is making people survive. Yeah, that is really one thing I'm looking up to. And... When we met last time, you mentioned your your ultimate goal is that no, no women st- stop dying from yes. unsafe abortions yes. in Ghana. Um, so what do you think it will take to make that a reality? Yeah, Abby, if I had the option, to tell you the truth, uh, that I've been discussing with my friends, I said if I had the option, I would really get two years out of work and have time for myself. 
I'm ready to stand out. I was reading something about Florence Nightingale. It took her alone to make more than nursing work. So I feel like at times it's not really the fault of these ones who are perishing. It's about knowledge. It's about information. It's about them getting to know. Because from the little I've done, it has saved a lot of young ladies. I feel like I'm re I, I know I'm ready to go out there to let this, their tutors and parents, sorry, parents get to know what is the truth so that they will stop all these things. Because if you get to know, maybe this is your daughter's boyfriend, you will watch out on that. If the girl gets to know, oh, uh, maybe I'm not safe this time. I can take this precaution. It will save all this. But people don't know and they, they don't have access. So I think it's about information. It's about accessibility which I think I am ready to, for the information aspect, I'm gathering more information and I'm ready to go out there to do it. Now it's about accessibility. That is what I'm looking up to. So that if, if, I'm, able, if I'm able to tell the child about maybe use condom, at least I can assist the child get like the condom to use. So that it's all done. Just mention it to them, no access. Then the information will be just a waste. I know I can do it. I want to give myself two years and within these two years, there should be no record of girl dying out of induced abortion i really want to do it yeah. um and you were saying before that abortion is is it illegal in ghana yeah. it's illegal legal you can't got private hospitals are doing it and i think it's being bounded by um the faith because christians hospital will say no others will be, but there isn't any law that will say if you commit abortion you'll be prosecuted or something no the people themselves are not ready to based on the faith they belong to they are not ready to do it it's making it illegal yeah but not by constitution yeah. so it's it's legal but there's there it's not accessible accessible for, for that is it that is it some of our education in schools is based on abstinence. Is that something? So the schools really educate that um, young people should not be having sex. Mm -hmm. And and then they don't provide information about what to do if they choose to have sex. There are still a lot of high schools that do that. Um, is that something? Do you talk about abstinence with your... Or do you mostly talk about how to keep yourself safe? It, it was the first day we went out. It was really funny. You know something? Ah, this abstinence issue. I went to a school... And I was talking to them about accidents and then then a lady made a comment at the back and they were all laughing. So I really wanted to know. Then the question was, Madam, you are saying we should have seen how do we pay our school fees? Most of these girls are in the relationship so that they can pay for their school fees, they can care for themselves and even support their families. Most people are dating men just because of that. It's, it's the most commonest and commonest way. There are a lot of girls who are in school and they are being catered by their boyfriends. So when they talk about the abstinence so much, it's so even boring to them. But it's something we cannot stop talking about it. That was why my main focus on, I know they are doing it. So if you go to talk about abstinence, at times, to get a time, you go to the school and they will not even be there because they know what you're... But if they feel like, oh, um, I, I have no other option. I'm doing it. I'm already in it. But how do I help myself? So I think I talk about their protection more than the abstinence. I talk about abstinence, but not so much because most of them are engaged. Most of them. Yeah. Do you think they feel empowered to talk to their partners about using condoms? Or is it something that also education with the men needs to happen? <laughs> uh, 
protection uh, within last um i think four years ago in ghana my my area my district was the second highest with the rate of hiv aids because protection was and it's even difficult for the woman to open even in married in within married couples it's difficult for them to tell their partners about protection most women who come to our facility for some need to hide so i'm friend with a lot of women at times, not just because they are my friends, but they can so that they can get access to all this. They need to hide because men will not really allow them for that, and it's difficult to even discuss with them because it's really a farming. Men are dominated; they are so dominant on the women. So decision taking and other stuff, it's it's difficult. It's a gradual process. I know we will, we will get there. Yeah, <laughs> we will get there. But so far, so good. We are trying. So in the next two years, what are some of the steps you're going to be taking? Education? Yes. Going back now, I really have been updating my, my group. And then going back, as I said, <clears throat> I'm praying for a good... Really, one of my main motives is to also get linkage with an organization here that I will really work with. Um, so that um, when I go back, I'll work with my hospital and see how and when I'm going to start. I, at least a week we need to, every week we need to go to a community, a school, and then talk. Stay there for some time. Refer patients to the hospital if the need arises. And then within the next two years, because I think uh, before we were visiting the schools, like maybe some school will be one, once a month, some will be twice. And there's not all the schools that are having access to phones, so communication it's a problem. But if they know maybe I'm in the community for two days, access to me is easier. So within the two years, it's going to be education, access. If, if things go on with accessibility, education, those are the two things I'm really going to use to work. Yeah. Now, if our listeners want more information about mm-hmm. your organization, how can they find it? Yeah, um, we, we have a website. The first one we had carried a lot of information, but the charge was too much, so we had to cancel it. And then had a simple one at um, www.greenlifefoundationf.simplesites.com. Well, thank you so much for mm-hmm. being on on our show with me today. Mm, thank you so much, Abby. It's a great opportunity for me. Thank you. Welcome to Ask Mabel with nurse practitioner Terry Marley DeRozier. She's here again to answer your sexual and reproductive health questions. If you have a question you'd like us to tackle, please email us at educate at mabelwadsworth.org. That's Mabel, M-A-B-E-L, Wadsworth, W-A-D-S-W-O-R-T-H. We only have one question today, um, which is... After a vaginal delivery, what short-term and permanent changes should I expect my vagina to have? Will the muscles retighten on their own? And if not, how soon should I start Kegel exercises? I think a lot of women, Abby, have that um, concern and question. Um, I'd like to just start by saying that the most important exercises to do during the first few weeks after birth are to rest and get to know your baby. Realize that it may take your body many weeks to recover from the changes of pregnancy. Try not to be superwoman or rush immediately to regain your shape.
and whether or not your vagina returns to its original size depends on several factors. It could be genetics, um, the size of the baby, the number of children you've had, and whether or not you do uh, Kegel exercises regularly. After giving um, birth vaginally, it's normal for your uh, vagina to be larger than it was before. And this effect is generally more pronounced um, after the birth of a, of a large baby. This is caused by the relaxation of the pelvic floor uh, muscles. These muscles will lose their tone um, with the more birth uh, that you have. Although pelvic floor exercises um, can help to tighten the pelvic floor muscles. If you haven't already done so, it's probably a good idea to, to do Kegels. Kegels involve um, tightening your pelvic floor muscles to help restore uh, the tone. Um, these are the muscles that surround the urethra, the tube that leaves out of your bladder and your vagina and anus. Um, you can tell that you're doing a Kegels exercise correctly because you can see yourself and feel yourself stop your urine flowing. So that's a good time to kind of practice to see if you're doing it right, is to sit on the toilet, allow yourself to pass urine, tighten your pelvic floor muscles, and if you can achieve stopping the urine flow, then bingo, you, you know you've done this correctly. Don't continue to practice, though, doing those exercises while you're passing urine because that can actually um, be damaging to your control of your urine um, flow down the road. You should start doing the kegels a few times a day, um, maybe starting with like three times a day. Each time you're, you do a kegels, start by holding it for five seconds and then maybe the next day hold for 10 seconds, um, working yourself up to about 20 seconds with each contraction and do them in sets of 10 and about you know four to five times a day. This will help restore uh, the tone of your vagina and will also help to um, prevent urinary incontinence or loss of urine when you cough, sneeze, or lift anything heavy as you get older. That's it for today. Thank you for tuning in. If you have a question for Ask Mabel, visit our new and improved website, mabelwadsworth.org, and click on Contact Us. Thank you for listening to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Mabel Wadsworth Center and Community Radio WERU. If you'd like to listen to past episodes, you can find them on WERU.org in the archives or at MabelWadsworth.org. You can also find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or through whatever podcast app you use. Tune in next month at our new time, the first Wednesday of the month at 4.30 p.m. Right here at Community Radio WERU, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, or at WERU.org.